This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 17 of Good Beer Matters. they're allowed to get it or it's just always forbidden so they, they want to get it even more but for me it was always available so like I, I didn't even want it that bad yeah it's just it's more than the drink it's just like the whole experience around uh, drinking beer which makes it so unique and so everyone can make their own decision based on the knowledge they acquire alcohol in our American society sometimes becomes contentious Sprinkle in some underage drinking and now we have a raucous controversy. We know that a relatively small percentage of the population in the U.S. drinks excessively, but that small percentage results in billions of dollars spent on alcohol-related problems annually. In 1984, the U.S. enacted the National Minimum Drinking Age Act, and we have had to wait until we were 21 to buy a drink ever since. However, as we all know, enforcement is often spotty, to put it mildly. So, my question is, when it comes to raising our children around alcohol, which would be more effective, teaching responsibility or promoting abstinence? Let me introduce you to a Swiss beer drinker and world traveler to help answer this question. Um, I'm Elio, I'm 25. Uh, My name is Elio, I'm 25 years old, uh, I'm from Switzerland, and um, I love beer. In this episode, we talk about how other cultures embrace raising families around beer. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 17 of Good Beer Matters with Swiss beer drinker and world traveler Elio Keller. So, like, uh, um, to understand Switzerland, uh, in Switzerland we have, like, like four different uh, official languages we speak. It's uh, French, Italian, German, and Romansh, which is a very small one, like only 30,000 people speak it. But um, there are also cultural differences within those uh, different uh, different uh, parts of Switzerland. So for example, the French-speaking part, they are uh, much more into wine. Like for them, it's usual to have like um, a glass of wine, as you mentioned before, uh, for uh, for lunch, so to say, and one personal experience I made with that was like um, we still have mandatory military service here in Switzerland. So when I was in the army, like we we only had a few French-speaking people there, but um, 
they would always, during lunch break, they would always go back to their room and sneak a glass of their wine they brought with them from home. And I always thought that was kind of funny because it was only the French people who did it, or the French-speaking people. I mean, they're Swiss, but French-speaking people would do it. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> so you were allowed to drink while you were in the army? Or at least no, if you spoke French? No, you were not allowed to drink. <laughs> but they, 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 they don't uh, take the rules so seriously as maybe the German-speaking Swiss people would do. <laughs> How funny. So were there uh, were there other Swiss and uh, that snuck beer, or was it just the uh, French speaking Swiss? Uh, I mean, we would like German speaking Swiss. They would sneak in beer, but we would like usually have it uh, at night. But the French, I think they're they're maybe tougher. They they could do all like the exercises and drills we had in the afternoon with a couple of glasses of wine, uh, which they drank, but. For me, it was too hard. I had to be sober to do all that stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, there's a lot to be said for the health benefits of beer. Uh, and I can't speak to wine specifically, but um, but as far as the athletic performance and the and all the stuff that you guys are doing, that yeah, I could see that be challenging if you're if you're uh, not chugging beers but having a beer wine during the day. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, when I when I work out, like when I go cycling or something like that, I I really enjoy a beer afterwards. Like I think it's uh, it's very refreshing. Then it tastes very good, and for me, that's kind of like a way to finish my workout every now and then. Yeah, that's a reward. But, uh, but for the yeah, it's like, the I, health I aspect, that. like uh like my grandparents, they are like my the grandparents on my mother's side. They're from the Italian speaking part of Switzerland. And they as well, they they drink a small glass of red wine uh, for lunch, and they they also claim it's good for their health. Like mm-hmm. um, a glass of wine a day keeps the doctor away, so to say. Yeah, yeah. In America, apparently it's apples, but hopefully that'll change. I, I, I know it should be apples, but I thought maybe with with wine it works as well. No, I I I I, I would agree. I've got nothing against wine at all. In fact, I love wine, but. Uh, but hopefully beer day will keep the doctor away too. Yeah, good beer matters. Good, good beer matters. <laughs> so let, let's let's just start diving into these stories. Uh, on on this podcast, we've talked to a, a brewer in Valencia, Spain, um, and we've talked to some friends of mine who have also traveled all around the world who are uh, currently living in uh, Granada, Spain, I believe. Um, what countries have you? Have you traveled to and and had beer in? Um, so so far, like uh, I've been to every continent except Africa and South America. And since I like drinking beer, I've um, one thing that's always been important to me is to drink uh, local beer wherever I go. And um, for example, in Asia, I've been to Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, or Indonesia. And um, I've always tried to to um, to test the local beer, like the Singa, Chang, Tiger, or what they're called. And I've always thought it's um it's very interesting to uh, to drink the local beer because like the beer, they taste they vary from country to country, and like depending on the region, if it's a warmer region or a colder region, like the beer is stronger or lighter or whatever. And it, it's like just um. For me, 
to get a to get a broad or a complete picture of a country, I think beer is in, or alcohol or drinking is just an essential part of the culture, and that's why I always try to um, get the full picture. Uh, I've, with the with my limited travels, I haven't been to thirty countries, but um, but traveling through uh, places that I've been, even even just around the United States, I, I tend to agree with you. You can get a sense of the people by by tasting their food, by drinking their beer, listening to their music, looking at their art. There's so many ways that culture manifests itself, and and I think beer is just one of those those ways that you can just really get a sense of who the people are. Uh, but it, it does take a little bit, um, a little bit of paying attention and not just slamming the beer down, uh, granted. But um, there's a lot of culture behind beer. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I definitely agree with that as well. And um, maybe like one story from Thailand or like uh, like a specific factor there or like um, something they do is like uh, Thai people. They um, they don't like to drink their own beer. It's like, or let's say the rich type people, they don't like to drink their own beer. Really? So yeah. So what they would do is like uh, in Thailand, the, the the upper class, they would order like Heineken or Carlsberg or all the big breweries, so like to show as kind of a status symbol that they have a lot of money and they they don't need to drink their own beer. And for me, when I was there, like the best thing I could do was drink their beer because it's just, it was just so good and I liked it much better than the international beers. So it, for me that was a was an interesting uh, like look into their culture and how they think. And that's fascinating because uh, I'm not aware of of a of a strong beer culture in Thailand or at least a craft beer culture in Thailand. Uh, my my understanding is a lot of the beers there are are lagers which of course is loggers took over the world um, in the late 1800s and 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 it all started with the Pilsen in the Czech Republic and then moved to Germany and just expanded from there so you have a lot of uh, a lot you have a lot of international loggers uh, that have taken around the world like like you mentioned uh, Tiger and and, um, and uh, uh, Singha I think you said um, but but they all but they are all uh, Germanic Czech or even styles, even like uh, Mexican Mexican lagers actually uh, were imported from uh, Vienna um, back in the day, uh, and that's why they are Vienna style lagers. They're darker, and, and there's just the Mexicans have have really created their own or taken it and made it their own. But it's still a European style lager. But it's interesting that that you mentioned these uh, that. Thai people are not drinking their own beer, at least upper class. They're actually still trying to get beers from from Europe. Yeah, exactly. That's just. Um, I mean, the poor people they drink it because they can afford it. Like it's uh, the price difference of a Heineken compared to a Singa is. Uh, it's quite. It's, it's quite a big difference. So hmm. this kind of separates the whole thing, and um, yeah. Interesting. So one of the things I wanted to talk with you about Elios is, I mean, you, you grew up in Switzerland, but I know, I know your family traveled quite a bit, um, and you've got to experience uh, different countries, different cultures, drinking beer in different cultures. Uh, you spent some time in the U.S. as well. Um, I, I'm interested in hearing about um, how different cultures raise children around beer and obviously other alcohols, but the 
The example I want to provide is, is you know, here in the U.S., we legally can't drink until we're 21. And, and so, and so that, that kind of creates a mystery around it. Right. I mean, when you were here around high school age, you know, there's lots of kids, I'm sure, at the high school that uh, were kind of excited about trying to go out and sneak a drink. But when you finally turn 21 or even before 21 here in the U.S., typically people just have a newfound sense of freedom and they start binging and and uh, and then keg stands happen and and uh, and fraternity hazing. But in other cultures, at least from my perspective and in our perspective in the U.S., other cultures, children are raised drinking, so it's not that big a deal, and they don't go on uh, binges typically. Um, but that is just a stereotype of everywhere outside of the U.S. Can you share a little uh, some of your experience with drinking cultures around uh, Europe and and Asia? Okay. Um, well, like since as you mentioned, I'm from Switzerland. Um, I want to start with like maybe the Swiss drinking culture or the way I was raised and the way I got introduced to alcohol. And like, like the first thing to say is like um, when you were young, like uh, the you, I think you're exposed to alcohol quite often. So like uh, people around you, they would drink um, a glass of wine or a beer or. It's just like um, something adults would do or older people would do. And um, so it's just like something you see a lot of the time. So so as an, from a young age on, you're just kind of like used to beer. And then as the drinking age is 16. So like um, when you're 16, 16, you're allowed to buy beer. It's 16 in Switzerland? Yeah, so it's a 16 for um, cider wine and beer and it's 18 for spirits okay so like when you were 16 like um i i mean every kid like starts experimenting with alcohol i think and uh, sometimes you drink a little bit too much but i think it's just like uh, experiences you have i'm not sure if you have to make them but uh, i made those experiences and like um it was just like so normal for me and because of that, it's just like, um, it was not something I always like, maybe for like American kids, they, they, they don't, are not quite sure what alcohol is. And, and as soon as they're allowed to get it, or it's just always forbidden. So they, they want to get it even more, but for me, it was always available. So like, I, I didn't even want it that bad. So I just like, um, I, I like to drink for enjoyment because I like the taste. And since I made my experiences so early, I feel like I can, I can handle it a little better, but it doesn't mean that I don't drink a lot. Like, like everyone goes on a bender on occasion, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and like also uh, in school, like we there is a like a addiction prevention. Like we 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 had some talk with some talks with some experts at school at our high school where they would come and talk about like uh, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, or whatever addictions there are. And they would just like, um, they would show you the risk. They would show you ways how you, um, how you can manage those risks, how you can uh, handle all that kind of stuff. So I think they're taking a very proactive approach. They know it's legal, so they know the kids are gonna do it. And I think they're just like, um, just like trying to, um, to tell the kids uh, what's bad about it and so everyone can make their own decision 
based on the knowledge they acquire. And also one other thing I want to mention is like um, a big difference to me was um, that in Switzerland drinking in public is allowed. So like uh, in the US, as far as I understand, you always have to wrap your alcohol in like a brown paper bag so the cops don't see you. <laughs> but here it's like, <laughs> like uh, we would just like uh, have a beer on the way and or just chill in a public place, uh, chill at the lake or in a park or wherever and just have a beer outside and and, and like coming back to, the, to how kids are raised, like when they walk around in public, they see people drinking and it's just, um, it's just normal. It's socially very accepted, well, I, I think. One thing I want to clarify right up front too is, um, is so the drinking uh, has more of an accepted culinary uh, a rich history uh, in in Europe and America. It was we have our own version of of a rich history of of beer, but it's nowhere near the same, uh, obviously. But uh, for us, it's more it's or it it always has been just a drink. Until really started in the '80s and in the '90s when when micro brewing started becoming a thing, and now here we are in the craft beer culture where we acknowledge that that beer is a artisanal thing. There is a rich history, but I think you're right. There's still there's still a a stigma of drinking is bad, um, addiction is bad. But one thing I want to just clarify up front is. What is the status of, or is uh, drinking and driving frowned upon in, in Europe like it is here in the U.S.? Um, yes, it is like, um, we have the rule that you're allowed to have uh, 0.5 per mil, or what's the unit there? Uh, in Europe, it probably is probably a mil. Um, yeah, we have 0.5 okay. per mil, which is uh, like the equivalent of like maybe one big beer okay it's like or one glass of wine and uh it's also very frowned upon it's like people of course some people they drink and drive but um like from my friends or the people i know i i they, they wouldn't do it it's just like um i mean if, if you cause an accident and it's usually very bad for you and you can cause a lot of damage so people mm -hmm. know that and they accept it but uh, also for us, it's like since our public transportation is quite um, quite good, so we have like other ways um, to get home after drinking outside yeah. or drinking somewhere else. But yeah, it's very frowned upon, and I would I would never drink and drive. And and so uh, and so it 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 seems that well well at least in Switzerland and other countries that I know of. Um, that that kids are brought up around alcohol it's not stigmatized it's and and by the time you were 16 17 if i heard you right alcohol was just no big deal right yeah i think that's correct it's like um sometimes it's even when you're with your friends and i don't know for some reason like maybe you're sick or you don't feel like drinking and you say okay i, I won't have a beer tonight so yeah that people would like look at you funny and say, "Well, what's wrong with you? Why, why don't you have a drink with us?" That's so, kind of like uh, how it is here. I, I'm, I'm sure that's true everywhere. It is kind of a social lubricant, so to speak. But the thing that impressed me is that even though alcohol is no big deal, the the uh, sorry, what's the word? Just lost it. Um, 
the responsibility is a part of the cultural experience of we have a rich history of alcohol, we have a rich history of beer, but you got to do it right. And and it seems like that is just part of what you're talking about that you, the environment that you're raised in. Whereas whereas here yeah. whereas here, frankly, there were there were times, especially in smaller rural communities. Um, th- there are times when you're when people think, "Hey, I've I've had a little bit too much to drink, but I can get home and I won't get caught. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to drive," which is a bad call. It is a bad call. Maybe um, one thing to point out, like the Swiss uh, drinking laws, they they got stricter uh, a couple years ago. Like earlier, it used to be 0.8 per mil. Mm. Now it's down to 0.5, which is almost like half. So like the older generation, they, they're still kind of like in the mindset of um, the 0.8 limit. Mm. So they're not as, um, for them, they, they still think like, oh, it's no big deal, I can get home safely. But the younger generation, they, they usually don't even drink and drive. It's just like either or. Good. Either you drink or you drive. Now, are you have you experienced any uh, cultures where where drinking excessively is encouraged and part of the culture? Um, I'm not sure um, if I would call it encouraged, but uh, I feel like and I I don't even I don't want to hate against or like uh, talk badly about a specific culture here, but from my experiences from like traveling and visiting other countries like uh, I always thought like the British people they 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 drink quite a lot and they they're usually the first one that are completely blacked out and um, yeah they they, they they have like no limits mm. as, um, as far as I can tell I just visited Birmingham a couple of weeks ago and there as well it's just like um, when you're walking through the city at night it's just a, it's a different vibe than here it's like People, they are. I think they're drunker than they are here. They're they have less control over themselves, and it's just um, it's um, it feels kind of weird to see that. Well, and I I got to um, do a podcast with some friends who are now living in Spain, um, but they had just uh, traveled around the world, and um, her name was uh, Sarah Gamber, and she lived in Ireland for a year, if I remember correctly. Um, if I got this wrong, Sarah, please forgive me. But um, she shared that when she was leaving uh, Ireland, that that was part of their culture was everyone, you know, everyone buys a round for each other. Uh, and if there's two people, there's two rounds. If there's six people, there's six rounds. Um, but of course, she was leaving and and the whole town came in to buy her a round uh, since she was leaving. So she had uh, way too many beers and and uh, did not do very well with that, uh, just to put it mildly. But um, but she said that that whole drinking culture was encouraged in Ireland. I've also heard um, in Britain that that the the more you can hold your beer, the the better you are, or the the better you're perceived. Um, but I haven't experienced that. Um, I did get to experience, uh, and I've shared this story a couple times on this podcast, so I'll keep this one brief, but my very first beer, uh, I was 11 years old in, in England and or- went up to the bar and ordered a shandy, and, and it wasn't a full beer, but uh, but 11 years old, you could have alcohol, and that was, that was the norm. Granted, this was 1984, but nonetheless, it, it was still part of the culture there. Um, 
so you what you've seen with the uh, with England and the story from Ireland that they tend to uh, drink more than than Swiss and other cultures. Yeah, like um, maybe talk coming back to the encouragement. Um, I feel like, as I mentioned before, like people look at you in a weird way if you like if you tell them that you're not going to have a drink today. So that might be a form of encouragement of alcohol as well. Yeah. And the other thing is like uh, we. Um, we have like the custom of like whenever we have another round, we uh, clink glasses with each and every one, and we wait until everyone has their drink, and then like you clink glasses and cheers, cheers, say cheers with everyone. So that's also like kind of a round principle, and so people who can't handle as much liquor, they tend to get drunk, drunk and faster because like everyone's going at a comparable pace. Sure. Okay. So that's also kind of an encouragement. So when you guys clink your glasses, what do you say? Prost. Prost. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, how about other cultures um, around uh, around Europe? Are, I, I mean, it's easy for us Americans to say Europe does this, but of course, Europe is comprised of a lot of different countries. What What is your experience with Italy or Spain or anywhere else that you've been to? Um, well, I've, I've only been in Italy as a tourist or Spain as a tourist. I've never lived there, so uh, it's, it's more importantly, did you drink there? I, I did drink there, <laughs> okay. but I, I think I drank more wine there than I drank beer. So I feel like wine is an uh, is a more important part in their culture than beer. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's let's say like I've lived in Germany for over a year as well. And in Germany, I mean, it's like the home country of uh, beer and there everyone drinks beer. Like, for example, in Switzerland, I feel like the women, they don't drink as much beer as the men. But in Germany, like most of the women I've met there, they they always drank beer and they enjoyed beer. So that's a difference there as well. And um, coming back to Spain and Italy, like uh, I just came back, back from Italy and for me there, it was uh, hard to find a uh, good beer, like, since wine is so predominant there. Mm -hmm. um, it's just different there. Well, in, in those countries, France, Italy, uh, Spain, um, those those countries, there there's kind of a, uh, it's been described to me as a sort of a wine line. And those countries, if you fall below the wine, the wine line, then you're more of a wine producing and drinking country. And if you're above it, you're more of a beer-producing and drinking country. Um, of course, Germany is above. Um, but uh, but the stories I keep on hearing uh, way out here in Oregon is that um, uh, there's a, a really good craft beer scene just beginning in... Well, it, it, it's on its way. It's got some momentum in Spain. And I've heard Italy has a great uh, craft beer uh, scene happening, too. Have you heard anything in those regards? Um, regarding Italy or Spain, I haven't heard anything, but uh, from my experiences here in Switzerland, it's, al it's also the same trend. Like, um, there are a lot of small craft breweries coming up, and um, I feel like people, like, we have one big brand, which is called Falschlösschen, and this is kind of like the Carlsberg of Switzerland, and uh, during the last couple of years, uh, I, you don't see it as often anymore, more small craft breweries have been popping up, 
and uh, people started drinking more local beer. Mm. Fantastic. Um, well, and, and tell me about the beer you're drinking right now on this interview. Granted, so just just for the sake, uh, it is it is about ten thirty where I am, but it's about seven thirty where you are in the evening. Uh, so ten thirty in the morning for me, and seven thirty in the evening for you. So, so prost. <laughs> prost. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought for the sake of this podcast and talking about beer, I I, I thought it would be appropriate to have one myself. And uh, right now, I'm drinking a Hopfop, which is a small um, small craft beer. From Switzerland, and it's a it's a white beer. It's a Swiss blonde. It's called Swiss blonde. And Swiss blonde, nice. exactly. And yeah, it's pretty good. Nice. I, all you need to do is let me know when you're uh, when you're about to get married, and we'll and we'll plan on visiting all the craft breweries in Switzerland with you before you get married, of course. <laughs> Hopefully, that'll be a while. Um, uh, what about other uh, cultures or travel experiences you've you've uh, you've experienced? Um, if I remember right, uh, have you been down to New Zealand, or was that your brother? My brother, he's lived in New Zealand for a year, but um, last summer I got the chance to travel to Australia. Great. And um, there, I um, I got to drink beer as well. <laughs> <laughs> and. The funniest thing for me uh, regarding drinking beer in Australia was like uh, whenever I whenever I thought about Australian beer, Foster's would uh, would pop into my head. Sure, same thing but here. The, same thing, but then I went down to Australia and I um, I asked for a Foster's beer there, and people would just laugh at me because it's it's not a beer they drink there. They they hate Foster's, and it's only an export beer. And this was a very uh, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, like. People all over the world think Foster's is the Australian beer, but nobody drinks Foster's in Australia. <laughs> but um, they have a lot of different uh, other good beers, um, like um, what's it, like a Great Northern was a good one, or just different kind. I, th- I thought it was lager as well, but um, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I and I've I've heard that before. I've heard that um, that that they don't drink Foster's, either the ale or the lager. Uh, but of course it comes here. And I, I remember watching those commercials as a kid that it was, the, you know, they dropped the can right in front of the camera and, and that was Foster's Australian for beer, <laughs> which is my horrible Australian accent. But that was that was their tagline is this is Australian for beer. And the funny the reality is they do not drink Foster's down there. Not at all. Not at all. No. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, Elio, someday, granted, you said you're 25 and you have this uh, great job that you're starting in the fall. Um, and and by no means will I ever put any pressure on you. But at some point in your life, I imagine you will have children someday. How do you uh, how do you how do you plan on raising these children around this beer culture? What what do you think about when you think about bringing children into the drinking fold? Um, well, I think it's since, uh, since beer or alcohol is like an important part of my social life, like I want to introduce my kids, uh, to that as well, like in a, in a sense or in a way which is appropriate and makes sense. Like, uh, of course I wouldn't give my eight year old a couple of beers (laughs) so he gets drunk, 
but um, like uh, I, I would be for sure a father that uh, has a drink with his kids when they're like uh, when they reach legal age and um, I would just like um, yeah show how they can like consume alcohol in a controlled manner and I wouldn't I would not um, like try to forbid or try to prohibit them from drinking alcohol at all like I know they're going to do it anyways and um, I, I wouldn't encourage them either but I would just like show them a way of how I did it or how, how I do it and uh, hopefully they would uh, pick up like the same manners I have or same habits I have uh, regarding drinking alcohol hmm. and so when I have uh, when I have brewed beer and my children have been around, I've made a point to show them the grains, show them the hops. I grow hops in my backyard and they come out and, and help me pick the hops when it's harvest time. Um, uh, and so just in case anyone thinks I am putting my kids through a sweatshop, I have two hop, hop plants in the backyard. So it just takes a matter of like hours, not days. But um, so I'm trying to show them the, the process of, of, of brewing the art, the science, tasting the grains and how it tastes just like cereal, um, and letting them taste the uh, the wort before it becomes fermented and everything else, um, and and I also uh, have starting to teach my kids. My daughter's particularly interested in this, but about the flavors that you get from your food, your juice, your popsicle. What and we we have that uh, we're starting to play this game that the name that flavor game. So if you taste something like that or, or uh, just yesterday she was having some nachos and we sprinkled a little bit of cumin on there and she said well cumin tastes kind of earthy and i said yeah but it tastes a little sweet too she's like yeah it's like sweet earth is what cumin tastes like because she's 10 and i want her to start thinking about flavors and then someday that will manifest into uh like, like the italians and the french do where they have wine with their meal and they think about pairing the wine with their meal and the flavors um trying to be intentional and think about that. Uh, and then when they're old enough to actually drink, then I want to, I want to teach them about culture and art and flavor and, and visit, uh, cousin Elio in Switzerland and, and how Swiss food and beer tastes and how it's different from German and Czech and American. And, um, for me, I think this is a important evolution and, and, Coming uh, like the the thread that binds all that together is just teaching them responsibility and restraint and knowing when to say when. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like, um, obviously, I mean, you are a father of two kids, so you have like a more like more defined, or you know how it is to be a father. And for me, it's just like. Um, I don't have any kids, so for me, I'm, uh, it's uh, hard to imagine like how it's going to be like very specifically like how I can show them the flavors. So I only have like a broad or general idea of how I would uh, approach the whole thing. Yeah. So. Oh, don't worry, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure it is. yeah, just kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the, uh, there's a couple of questions I ask all my guests. One of them, um, and I and I didn't prep you for this question, so I just want to hear what you uh, what you think right off the top of your head. But if Elio, if you had the opportunity to choose your last meal and your last beer be before you departed this earth, what would it be? Mm, well, like uh, 
since I'm Swiss, I love cheese. It's probably my favorite thing. So I would go for raclette. Uh, raclette, which is um, it is melted cheese for people who don't know that you put over some potatoes and some um, yeah, some potatoes uh, have some seasoning on top. And the problem is raclette doesn't go well with with a beer. <laughs> so um, I I would have a glass of white wine with raclette. But if I had to choose a beer, I would um, I would choose a Singa, the Thai beer, because just like all the good memories from drinking Thai beer or Singa while I was there at the beach and just like the the good times I had there and all the memories that come back with it. But so it would be raclette and beer, which is kind of an odd combination, but it's the one I have to go with. But it's still a world fusion. But um, the the best part of the thing you said is you drink that Singha beer b- because it attaches to your memories. And it's funny how it's, a, it's funny how those flavors, the combination of aroma, taste, and mouthfeel can can drill themselves into your brain so that all you have to do is taste that again and all of a sudden you're instantly transported back to Thailand. It is, but I've also tried Singa here in Switzerland once and it didn't it didn't feel like the same Singa I had there. Yeah. I, so like uh, in my head it tasted much better and yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah, and, and again... Uh, but still, uh, the memories are there. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I've shared this story again, so I'll keep this brief. But um, uh, I, for lack of better options, I chose to uh, drink a Heineken uh, on a train on the way to Madrid and uh, when we were there. And, and actually, actually, the Heineken on that train, because we were there, tasted pretty good. It was the best option of everything there. But... Um, every time I've tried a Heineken since it, it has been not good and it hasn't, it has not taken me back, but, but that, that memory of drinking Heineken on a train was, was pretty good. Um, okay. Last question, Elio. Um, why from your experiences and your travels, uh, in your opinion, why does good beer matter? Um, well, to me, uh, beer is not only about the drink, but it's just like the, um, the circumstances you're in w- when you drink beer. And usually for me, it's like when I'm with a good group of friends and uh, we have a good conversation or we go out partying. It's just like beer is for me like always connected to having a good time. And since, uh, since I like having a good time... Um, for me, beer is very important, and yeah, it's just—it's more than a drink. It's just like the whole experience around uh, drinking beer, which makes it so unique. Elio, thank you for uh, spending your evening and <laughs> my morning, um, uh, just chatting about your experiences about beer. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeremy, for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll. I'll let you know when we release it. So otherwise, ciao. Cheers. Introducing alcohol to minors via abstinence or responsibility is very much a chicken and the egg argument. A single policy will not work for everybody. Instead, I suggest you make your own decisions based upon what you think will be the most effective. Arm yourself with knowledge preach moderation, and always go for quality over quantity. In the next episode, we explore beer, 
pairings and education with a master. That is to say, a master Cicerone. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please go to iTunes or Stitcher.com and subscribe to Good Beer Matters. Better yet, send me an email at jeremy at goodbeermatters.net or connect with me on Facebook and tell me what beer stories or knowledge you'd like to hear more about. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.